If you need a new roof or a repair, Easton Roofing will take care of you. Estimates are always free and suggestions are built on integrity. Visit EastonRoofing.com for more information. Get back to business faster with Easton Roofing. Easton Roofing. Integrity matters. Garrettson and Toth presents The Shift with Jack Johnson on ESPN Kansas City. 1510 AM and 94.5 FM. It is Wednesday, and it's another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Jake Gutierrez. Week's already flying by, it feels like. I know we don't have the Super Bowl this weekend, but we're already moving toward it. Now, this always feels like the longest week, you know, leading up to the Super Bowl. It's like a bye week. I hate bye weeks. Hate bye weeks in college football. Hate bye weeks in the NFL. I know players love them. I'd love them, too, if I was a player. But for the fan that does nothing, for those that cover it, you run out of material. You run out of material at some point in the week. But good thing for us, while we're waiting for the Super Bowl next Sunday, we still got a slew of college basketball games. And last night, we were treated to two local teams in Kansas and Kansas State being in action. And I'm not just going to sit here and recap both those games in in length. I also want to tie in a little bit of Joe Lunardi's most recent bracketology. It's January 31st. Tomorrow, of course, is going to be February 1st, and we're kind of getting into crunch time. No, we're over 20-plus games in the season now. You very much know who your team is and the ceiling your team has. You know, all those games you had back in November, early December, distant memory now. And... Both of these local teams, Missouri will be playing tonight, by the way, against Arkansas. Uh, Missouri still looking for its first conference win. Arkansas only has one conference win, and that was because they had a 20-point lead and nearly blew it to A&M. In fact, needed the game-winning shot from Tremont Mark to win. So Missouri, uh, right now a favorite in that game, five-point favorite yeah. against Arkansas and Columbia. Wild. Uh, I, I don't know which side to bet on for that. Um I'd imagine the Tigers were going to grab that first win. This is a perfect one to do so. Right. I'd but get... are they going to win by five, though? That... <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I, don't I, don't, I don't think so. I, I, don't... I would much rather that spread be like three. Yeah, two and a half. Two and a half, three. Yeah, I, I think, think that'd be enticing to me. I guess Tigers' money line maybe is the play. Yeah, that that might be the play. If you're a Tigers fan or you think that Arkansas is really as fraudulent as they've appeared to be this year, a Final Four favorite, now 10-10 and 10 and have one conference win so far. But Tigers and Razorbacks tonight in Como to see who jumps ahead of who in the SEC standings. But for KU and K-State, last night was a big one for both teams. And you may be asking yourself, well, how was it a big one for Kansas? It's Oklahoma State. They were a 16.5-point favorite. I, I think it was big because, A, they were without Kevin McCuller. And B, they've got Houston on Saturday. I think they needed to have that win rolling in where it's, all right, we feel good about Saturday. If they would have beaten Oklahoma State by five at home, I don't think I would have felt that confident going into Saturday. Houston atop the conference right now. Uh, They've got the best defense in the country. They are physical. They overwhelm you. And Thankfully, for the college basketball gods giving us this opportunity, we get Kansas and Houston twice. And what's even better, that game in Houston, March 9th, the last game of the regular season. That could very well decide the Big 12. 
Who knows? That's looking too far ahead, and it's still looking too far ahead to Saturday against Houston. It'll be Kansas and Houston. Kansas will have a chance to jump back into the top spot in the Big 12, depending what happens with Iowa State and Waco, and also what happens with Texas Tech, who lost last night to TCU. That's the thing with the Big 12. Never make your prediction as to who's going to win in January. Because you'll think someone that starts 5-1 and one or 4-1 and one is the favorite, and then they're going to have that weird loss. I mean, I think early on in conference play, people were looking at Kansas as somebody that was going to run away with it. You know, build a, a four or five game lead at some point on like the fourth or fifth place team by the end of January. Then they lost to UCF and West Virginia on the road. Anybody can beat anybody except for Oklahoma State in this conference. And last night, you know, Kansas proved to me a few things. One, that the depth can be there, right? El Marco Jackson finally looked like a reserve, although he started in this game because Kevin McCuller was dealing with a bone bruise. I think that was something he needed. And what's fascinating to me, um, so after this show, I go and produce. I do what Jake does over uh, on Wichita. Uh, not as good as Jake does, though, obviously. I'm just, I'm over there. Hey, it's all relative, on. right? It's all relative, I guess it's you could say. It's all from the eye, eye of the beholder. I'm I, sure there's some people out there that think I do a terrible <laughs> job. So. I hope not, because you do a fantastic job. But we had Matt Tate, who covers KU, on the show Uh, Back on Monday, it was. And what he said was fascinating, that he believed for a game like this, the way to jumpstart your bench is, how about start El Marco Jackson and Nicholas Timberlake and Parker Brown in this game? Because you know against a, what are they now, 7-13 or 8-13 Oklahoma State team, the dead last in the conference. I know they just beat West Virginia, which makes that Kansas loss in Morgantown look so much worse. But the Cowboys actually have one Big 12 win. One in seven. One in seven. So they're coming into Lawrence. They're a 16.5-point underdog. They were never going to beat Kansas. The Jayhawks had just beaten them by 30 in Stillwater. You could probably live through the first five to ten minutes of the game not playing Hunter Dickinson a lot, not playing, oh, Johnny Furphy a lot, not playing Dewan Harris a lot. They could have gone with those guys. So Matt Tate brought that up. And I don't know if he had inside information on Kevin McCuller's health, but it was interesting to me because I thought, man, that is a great idea. Give these bench guys an opportunity to go, wow, this is my game. I've got to show that I can do this. And lo and behold, El Marco Jackson is thrust into the starting spot for Kevin McCuller. And I'm sure he knew well before the game he was going to start because Kevin McCuller never warmed up. He was never dressed to play. And so Bill Self took that as an opportunity to go, all right, it's your spot now for this game. It's not going to likely be your spot against Houston, assuming Kevin McCuller progresses well. And I think he said if McCuller played last night, he would have been 50%. But if it was at the end of the year, I think McCuller would have pushed to play. You need him healthier for Houston than you needed him healthier for Oklahoma State. But Marco Jackson goes in there and he hits two three-pointers last night. He scores in double figures. He shot the ball more than he had in his previous like five or six games. And that's the confidence you want from a player like that. Because the reality is, not so much in the NCAA tournament, but I think over this next stretch where they're going to get Houston, it starts now. This gauntlet of games for Kansas that'll dictate just how high of a seed they are in the tournament, just that they can win the Big 12. I mean, to me, the winner of the Big 12 is an automatic one seed. That, that should just be a given. I don't care if they've got six losses in conference play. 
if you're the champion of the best conference in college basketball, you are the one seed. So Kansas still has their sights set on that. Houston's 19 and 2, Kansas 17 and 4. But this stretch of games they have, they can't win the conference if they don't have depth, if they don't have the reserves that can give them valuable minutes. Elmarco Jackson's performance does not mean he's going to do the exact same thing against Houston. But at least you can take it and go, he's seen it happen now in Big 12 play. He knows even against a bad opponent, I can provide something rather than just dribbling the ball and not taking a single shot in 10 minutes. You know, KU has this on deck for them. In fact, there's not an easy game for them the rest of the way. Two of them, you could argue, are easier, maybe three, but not really. If you've lost to West Virginia UCF on the road, none of these games are easy. They're going to get Houston on Saturday. They'll go to Bramlage and take on Kansas State on Monday. Then they'll host Baylor and Lawrence. They'll go to Lubbock, take on Texas Tech, to Oklahoma to take on the Sooners and Norman, host Texas. That, to me, is that easier game because Texas and Rodney Terry just aren't that good. Then they'll host BYU, go to Waco, take on Baylor, host Kansas State, and then go on the road to Houston to close out the year. That's what's left for them. And we're going to find out a lot about this team. But last night, I think, was that perfect game they needed to give them some form of confidence. Right, Four and three, worst starting conference play for Bill Self at Kansas, which is absurd to even think about, that a winning record four and three that early in conference play is just disastrous, terrible. And no, Oklahoma State's not good. They're a terrible basketball team. Mike Boyden is likely going to be fired after this season. But what do you do to bad teams? I don't... I really don't group Oklahoma State and West Virginia with the rest of the Big 12, and I'm including Kansas's loss to West Virginia here. Those are not the teams you say, I'm proud to have a win in the Big 12. No, Oklahoma State and West Virginia are not good basketball teams. It makes that West Virginia loss all the more worse, really. It makes that loss so much worse for Kansas. But I don't look at that game as, hmm, that, that just shows you the Big 12 how tough it is. They're not good basketball teams. But what do you do to bad basketball teams? You win by 30. And that's what Kansas did last night. And they saw Oklahoma State two weeks ago. And they beat them by 30. So anytime you beat a Power 5 team by 30 twice in two weeks, it's a good sign of things to come. And you know what? That Iowa State game, to me, does feel like a little bit of a turning point. Um, Because really, when you break it down, when you digest it, when you get the anger out of your system that they just lost a game... You know, they didn't play that well in certain stretches. You kind of break down the game and go, there's nothing more they could have done. That's a game that you tip your cap and you go, our opponent who shot 27% as a team from three went 14 of 30. They couldn't miss. They couldn't miss. And they were in their own dome. They were in Hilton. It's really hard. They were undefeated at Hilton that year. Kansas was the underdog. They were. The Vegas odds, they had them four and a half points. Mm -hmm. You know, a nice cover at the end. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The the buzzer being McCullers. Three of 21 in the game, and then, of course, hits that one. That's Vegas for you. you. Thank you. And, you know, when you are a Kansas fan, right, you take any loss you have, it's it's a time to pick apart the team and go, they're not going anywhere. Now, I'm not going to say beating Oklahoma State solves everything. We're going to know a lot, though, on Saturday, just how good this team really can be. Um, I I look at the the, the Iowa State loss much different than I ever did. Of course, the UCF and West Virginia loss. Now, the West Virginia loss, they were another team. That shot sub-30% from three-point range. They had, I think, upwards of, what was it, 12 or 13 
Yeah, they were 12 of 21. They shot 57% from three, 84% from the free throw line, and 52% from the field. West Virginia hasn't done that all year long. So, yeah, you can criticize defense, but sometimes it's our game plan was to let them shoot more threes. So for Iowa State, you lost by four. You went up to Hilton. Everybody's lost at Hilton this year. Iowa State's going to be a damn tough out in the NCAA tournament. But to me, it was that turning point where it's that loss where it can fuel you, it can motivate you, and now it's all right. We feel good about where this team is actually at. I don't think you could have said the same after West Virginia or after UCF. It did not shock me that much that Kansas dominated Oklahoma State, even without McCuller in that game. And that's that turning point. We see this every single year with Bill Self and his Kansas teams. They've got a loss, and then it's that in that loss – you see a large chunk of people go, it really wasn't as bad as you think it was. Yeah, any loss that Kansas has, it's going to be magnified. It's going to be amplified across the nation because it's Kansas. It's the perennial favorite in the Big 12. Anybody that beats them in the conference, it's an upset. There's a court storm. Every loss they've had this year, exception of Marquette because it was in Maui or Honolulu this year, there's been a court storm. And any other loss they have the rest of the year on the road will be a court storm. There's no doubt in my mind about it. And they're going to lose. A couple more games this year, just because of how tough the Big 12 is. But that, to me, can be the turning point. I would not be shocked if they handled Houston pretty well on Saturday. Now, the game's in Lawrence, a different field than beating Houston on the road. But this feels like the turning point. This is when you can go back and go, that Iowa State loss is when they started becoming that typical Bill Self February team. You know, I, I think it's perfect they get Houston on Saturday and then K-State on the road on Monday. That's always a tough game. Last couple of years for Kansas. K-State's going to come out ready to go, and we'll get into the Wildcats here in about a few minutes. But it's perfect to have these collection of games at the right time, in my opinion. Now, you put Texas Tech and Lubbock in the early parts of January, they lose the game. You know, if they had this UCF and West Virginia game, in the middle part of February, they blow the doors off those teams. This is what happens every single It's copy-paste. It is copy-paste with Kansas every single year. Bad non-con loss. They rattle off eight or nine in a row. They get to Big 12 play. You think they're unbeatable. They lose a weird game on the road. Bill Self calls them soft. It probably happens again. Then they get a couple of impressive wins on the road. In February, they're going to have that one game they play terribly, and then everybody will be able to say, this is a team that's not going far in March because of X, Y, Z. They don't have the bench, which I've said before. I still don't think this is a team that goes far in March. they got to prove more than they have so far. But whether it's guard, Dewan Harris can't score. You know, oh, El Marco Jackson's a non-factor. I've said that before. Oh, KJ Adams needs to round out his game a little bit more. There's always going to be those reasons, right? But it's copy-paste, right? You're going to have the frustrations throughout the season, but in the end, Bill Self usually has his teams playing at a high level at this point in the season. It has always been feared all year long, this stretch of games, from the beginning of February to the beginning of March. This is what is going to decide everything. But in all honesty, it's better to have those games now than in the beginning of January. Because Kansas has never been its best self in December or January. They are always their best self, whether they go deep in March or not, in February. Last year, you know, Kansas was knocked out in the first weekend against Arkansas in the round of 32. 
in that February stretch, you know, they beat, I believe it was Texas at home when Texas was top 10. You know, they'd beaten Baylor after trailing by 17 or 18 in the first half. That was the best version of themselves. This team, we haven't seen it yet. This could be that stretch. This could be the Kansas team that everybody thought they could be. Hunter Dickinson, Kevin McCuller, Adams, Dewan Harris, you know, Johnny Furphy now stepping into the starting five. You get even one guy off the bench giving you good minutes, that's when they become dangerous. So Kansas wins by 29 over Oklahoma State. They will get Houston, the number one team in the Big 12 and number four in the nation on Saturday in what should be an awesome atmosphere in Lawrence, Kansas. Jake, any thoughts on this Kansas team after a near 30-point win over the last-place team in the Big 12 at home and the upcoming matchup against the Houston Cougars? I think, you know, if you could give all those guys rest, I think that's the biggest key. But McCullers didn't even have to step out on the court, and I no. think that's giant. He's, I think, dealing with a bruised knee. Look, injuries in college are way different than injuries in professional sports, just the HIPAA, you know, all that stuff. That So they don't have to disclose, you know, specific injuries, but... You know, talking around people uh, around Kansas program, it's it's you know, both him and Hunter Dickinson are dealing with like bruised knee issues. So mm-hmm. I think it's great to get those guys rest. I think it's incredibly beneficial with the gauntlet that is the Big Twelve. Every night is a tough game that you get, except when you're playing Oklahoma State. Yeah, and, and to get that game right before Houston. I think, you know, because if this was Kansas State or if this was Oklahoma or, you know, just Cincinnati, any of those teams, McCullers is probably going. Oh, yeah. And, and so to get that rest right before maybe the biggest, one of the biggest matchups, I, I think is invaluable. But also, it's like we, we forget how highly recruited, I, I forget at least. And I know it can be looked at El, Mar- El Marco Jackson was a freaking McDonald's All-American. Yeah, five-star. He was a top 24 player in, in the country. And so the talent is there. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and last night, I, I think, you know, a player of his caliber, uh, a young player, I, I think confidence is so so valuable and it's so important for those players that, you know, I think that could, you can only build on that. And I think it was a great opportunity for Kansas to quote-unquote get right, you know, um, to look good in doing it and, and and have it just be an absolute no doubter because this game was never close at any point. So I think it it, it, it was taking care of business. They needed yep. to do that. They did it, and now it's move on. They didn't get caught looking ahead, which happens all the time, especially mm-hmm. when you're dealing with 18 to 22-year-old kids, you know. Um, so great win for KU. I, I say great win because it's great that you got to get some guys rest. That's yes. the great part of that win. They have been banged up for a little bit of time now. Dickinson, McCuller, they've been dealing with you know knee problems, um, and I'm sure everybody's and not just Kansas. Everybody's yeah. banged up, but you need you need rest. And, and travel is brutal in the Big Twelve. Oh, yeah, I mean, going especially to, now. Yeah, I mean, going to West Virginia. I've 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 worked several games out there for CBS doing college basketball. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy place to get to. Granted, they get to fly, you know, private, and they fly in 30 minutes away from Morgantown, but. Yeah. Like it, it's it's a hard trip. Yeah. I mean, you change time zones. You know, you lose an hour, you gain an hour, all that stuff going back and forth. So, I mean, that wears on the bodies too, and the mind, and yep. and so it's like that's another layer that you know I don't know if a, a lot of people think about in terms of these 
you know, on top of having to deal with school and, and, and all the things that college kids deal with, this travel, even though it is, you know, it's not like they're waiting at, at you know, MCI and, and, you know, Pittsburgh's airport. and They're, they're not flying commercially. They're mm-hmm. flying privately. But with that said, it's still getting on a plane it, it, for a guy who's 6'5 to 6'10". It's still not a comfortable place not, to be in, and so it's not you know, it's not like you're getting great rehab and and post game you, know, you know treatment and whatnot like you would if you're you're you know they were playing at home, but it's still you know Ames is a four hour drive mm-hmm. you know in a bus, and so it's like that travel starts to wear, and as you get into the Big Twelve season, that's why it's such a grind, and you're slogging through these these college towns, so. You know, it, it's great for them to get right, and, and I mean, what a matchup we have this weekend in, in the field house. Yeah, and we're going to have much more on that coming up on Friday. And as things stand right now, this was a day ago, Joe Lunardi has Kansas as the number 3 seed in Purdue's region, Marquette being the two Kansas lost to early on in the year. The 4 seed in their region would be Auburn. So Kansas still eyeballing. Uh, one of the number one seeds that would put them through Omaha and Dallas. I can't remember which region that would be. I think the – I don't even know if they count that. I'm sure it would be the Midwest if they got the number one overall seed or one of the number one seeds. And North Carolina yesterday was a number one seed. They lost to Georgia Tech, who has a sub-500 record. And Houston has the number three overall seed. And Kansas could maybe leapfrog them here after next weekend depending on what happens in Lawrence's coming Saturday. As for Kansas State, much different story. And last night, to me, felt like a must-have. I hate using that phrase of a must-win, must-have game. This was huge for them. As big as it possibly could be with a month left in the season, a little over a month left, they were hosting Oklahoma, It's in Manhattan. Oklahoma had dropped two in a row. Oklahoma, by the way, desperately needed a game like this. They were still top 25, I think, probably placed in a number 7 to number 10 seed for the NCAA tournament. But they needed something like this. K-State has had just an awful week. They lose in Ames. Jerome Tang and his staff said there were spies behind their bench. Iowa State finally responded to it, and they were furious about it, saying that K-State's coaches cursed out one of their managers that was sweeping the floor. It was a bad look. And since nothing's really come of it, now we're looking like that more so was a boy-who-cried-wolf situation. So they lose that game. Then they go to Houston, get absolutely demolished by the Cougars. And then you get two days of rest before coming, or three days of rest before coming back to take on Oklahoma at home. And I thought that was the game where Jerome Tang sits everybody down, says, all right, we're going to regroup now. We're still 14-6. and six. We have a winning record in Big 12 play. Let's get another top 25 win. Here's how this game went. From the get-go, Kansas State looked disinterested. And maybe that is the theme of this team all year long. I have never seen this in a college basketball game. Not to my knowledge, unless I forgot, which I don't think I would forget something like this. K-State was scoreless at the under-12 timeout. Two media timeouts, they didn't have a point. They didn't get a field goal until after that. And they were down by 16.5 to Oklahoma, who, by the way, did not play that well. That's the most alarming thing of this. If Oklahoma shot lights out and K-State lost by 20, which they did, I think you look at this and go... Man, 
you got to look yourself in the mirror at this point because it's it's put up or shut up time now. K State does not have many more opportunities that are gimmies to win in the Big Twelve. I mean, they get Oklahoma State on Saturday. And those can always be weird in Stillwater. Oklahoma State's not a good basketball team, but I, that's the last opponent you want to see after losing three in a row. Because there's not a lot of momentum you can get heading into play Kansas on Monday. Then you go to Provo to take on BYU. You host a TCU team that just knocked off Tech. You go to Texas to take on the Longhorns. Then you go and host BYU in West Virginia. I, maybe two more gimmies, if that. And can I call them gimmies anymore? I don't want to say Oklahoma was a gimme, but to lose by 20 at home, it it is just not a great look. Oklahoma shot 21% from three. They shot 61% from the free throw line. Now, K-State, which they've done all year long, couldn't take care of the basketball. They had 14 turnovers. They shot 30% from the floor, 14% from three. And that's another thing that bugs me about K-State. For some reason... They decide to live or die by the three-point shot. And they don't have many good three-point shooters. Kaluma has been their best three-point shooter in Big 12 play, I believe, at 46%. He was 0-5 last night. One of eight from the floor. Four points. And it's like, when those shots aren't falling, where are you going to get offense from? Tyler Perry led them in scoring last night with 23. I didn't think he was that great exceptionally. He's 3 of 10 from deep. 7 of 16 from the floor. Shot a lot of free throws. Cam Carter... 2 of 12. The front court gave you nothing. Will McNair and David Gasson combined for 11 in the game. Will McNair also only had 10 minutes. Jerome Tank said he just wasn't locked in, which is why he didn't play. And the bench, once again, not giving you much. They were 1 of 8 combined. Dorian Finister, Taj Manning, and Colbert. Not much for K-State as they lose by 20 against Oklahoma. And the bad part about this, they were in the next four out. Before this game. So they're 14-7. and And I don't know if they get in without any signature wins. Even if they've got 12 losses. You know? They still have to play Kansas twice. They still have to go and play Iowa State again. They have to go to Provo and take on BYU. They have to go to Cincinnati. You know, that Baylor win was its their best win by a mile. But even Baylor started to look a little bit human. They're 14-5. and five. They've lost three in a row. You know, it's not the same Baylor team that we're accustomed to. I just think you're starting to enter a, a period where, man, it, it, does this team have enough in the tank? Because I think it's one thing to be 14-7 and seven and you have a couple of top 25 wins. And you're going, well, we're 14 and 7, but, you know, 22 and 10 gets us in. K State's going to need to beat Kansas on Monday. I'd imagine they need to beat TCU at home. Then I think they have to win on the road at Cincinnati and beat Iowa State. I'm not sure any other win, maybe BYU. I'll throw BYU there beating them at home. Of those games, like, I think they absolutely need them. I'm not sold that you get in if you only beat Oklahoma State, even Texas on the road, West Virginia at home, Cincinnati. If you've only got those four wins, I think Jerome Tang said you get eight wins in the Big 12, you're getting in. I'm not sold that does it. 
I'm really not. Um, because that also adds four more losses to your schedule, which that's eight and eight, right? Is it? Do you play 17? They, they're four and four right now. They've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Hold on here. Am I counting this right? Eight, ten games left in the conference. I think my math is right here. So if they go, yeah, I'm not even sold four and six gets it done. And you get six more losses on this stretch, that puts you at 13. Yeah, you're not getting in with 13. Or you get nine. If you go, let's say they go five and five. I don't know if you can enter the Big 12 tournament with 12 losses and then you're expected to kind of win the tournament at that point. 13 losses, I don't think, gets you in as a Power 5. Not when you don't have multiple Power 5, Quad 1, Top 25 wins. Right now, the highlights for Kansas State is beating Baylor at home. I'd say beating Providence. Maybe winning against UCF at home. I think those three are good. The Villanova win at one point looked really good. Villanova's 11-10. and 10. They're not making the NCAA tournament. It's just a little bit of a panic button mode time. I mean, lost by double digits in the last three, and not that this Kansas State team was Final Four bound or anything like that, but last year, you didn't see it from this team. You didn't see it from that Kansas State team. They went and beat the hell out of Texas and Austin, and Texas tied with Kansas for the Big 12 title. You know, they beat Baylor in overtime and Waco. They beat Kansas at home. You're not seeing the same from this team. Now, they're going to have a great opportunity in a stretch of two days to beat Oklahoma State on the road and then Kansas on Big Monday. And you know the student Jackson's going to show up for that, and I'd imagine K-State's going to play really well in that game. That is, to me, a turning point. If you lose to Oklahoma State on Saturday, I, I hate to say it, but that's one of those spots where it might be mailed in. Because then it's not looking likely you beat Kansas. Then you look up and hell, you're fourteen and nine going into Provo on a five game losing streak. That's not a spot you envy. I mean, double digit losses and when is when it gets very, very hazy for a Big Twelve team. It's a tough conference, but getting to that ten eleven loss threshold with no true big time quad one wins. That's where it gets dicey. That's when you're going to need to pull off that big-time upset, which absolutely can still happen with Jerome Tang. He's one of the best coaches in college basketball. But right now, I think for the first time in the Jerome Tang era, in a huge rut, 20-point loss at home to Oklahoma. When Oklahoma didn't play lights out, it's not great. 52 and 53 points in back-to-back games. The offense is severely struggling. What also alarms me, too, they very well could have lost to Oklahoma State at home back on January 20th. They were down by seven or eight points with five minutes to go. It took an Oklahoma State collapse for them to win 70-66. to So that that's where I'm at with Kansas State. Depending what happens on Saturday, I'd imagine Joe Lunardi still has them as one of the first four or the next four out. But then they're going to get a great opportunity against Kansas coming up on Big Monday in Manhattan. Tip-off will be 8 p.m. You can listen to pregame and coverage on Sports Radio 810 WHB. We'll take our first break of the show. When we come back, we'll roll on on the shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN, Kansas City. We are back here on the shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN, Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Jake Gutierrez. 
Well, something in Kansas City that we don't really need to worry about is if your quarterback is limited. If your quarterback can lead you to a Super Bowl, him alone can will you to victory. Don't need to worry about that in Kansas City. Not with a two-time MVP winner, now four-time AFC champion, and could be a three-time Super Bowl champion before his age 30 season. Now that's what you are looking at with Patrick Mahomes. The opposite side, the opponent of the Chiefs, the San Francisco 49ers, different story with Brock Purdy. And Brock Purdy, you know, I do think gets a little bit unfairly criticized because he's not a first-round pick. He was Mr. Relevant. He was the last pick in the draft. Nobody would ever expect anything from a quarterback, let alone Mr. Relevant, a quarterback taken last in the draft. Nobody in their right mind would say, in his second year in the league, he's going to lead them to a Super Bowl. Nobody would have believed that. And he is going to get criticism probably in the weeks leading up to the Super Bowl. All the time. Mahomes or Purdy. It's going to be... David versus Goliath. I thought it would be interesting, though, to go back and forth with Jake here to go over quarterbacks in this league and if you would take them right now over Brock Purdy. Now, there are obvious ones. I'm not going to ask Jake if he'd take Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson or, or Josh Allen or Joe Burrow over Brock Purdy because that is a no-doubter. But I do think there are some that fall into the category of it's worth the conversation. So those are your tier one guys. Those are my tier one. So Mahomes, Allen, Lamar, Burrow. I'm going to throw C.J. Stroud and Herbert into tier one, if that's all right. Sure. But, I I mean, I I would not say they're a tier one quarterback. Okay, so are they tier two? I would say, yeah, I'd say they're like in the same category. I I would say Dak is in that category probably. Um so like Dak, Herbert, C.J. Stroud, uh, and, and then and then I think the waters start to get a little murky there. I mean, I, I think the next t- that would be probably your tier two guys, and then tier three would be guys like, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I put Tua in the same, and I don't want to get too far ahead, like you yeah. know. But let's just agree on on tier one. Tier one, I think so, Mahomes, Allen, Lamar, Burrow, Burrow. Okay, so we'll leave that tier one. I probably jumped the gun on Stroud and Herbert. So we'll put them. I'll agree with you there. I changed my mind. Tier two there. Dak, probably in the same conversation. So let's start there. Well, let's start easy here and kick it off with C.J. Stroud. After the season he just turned in, younger than Brock Purdy, but Purdy's not old by any means. Would you take Stroud or Purdy? I mean, what what I saw out of Stroud, I would take Stroud. I mean, and so the the parameters here are like, you're starting a new franchise, and these are, these are the guys you get to pick your quarterback to move forward with, right? And it's not like you just have one game you need to win, right? Because then mm-hmm. you might take a guy like Aaron Rodgers, but there's no way you're starting a franchise with Aaron Rodgers right now, you know? Yeah, I no, mean, too is, old. Is that, is too, that the, yeah, that the parameter? I think that's fair, yeah. So we're, going, we're going somewhere like you could, you could at, trade for him, build a, build a team franchise. around that guy. Yes. I would, say, I would take C.J. Stroud out of what I saw out of that young man. Um Stroud, yes, over Purdy. Okay, so we got Stroud over Purdy. I think I would agree with you there. I don't have much pushback on that. Uh, Stroud could maybe be a top five quarterback next year, but also we've we've fallen victim to that before. 
You know, I, I think Justin Herbert and Trevor Lawrence are two prime examples. It's like guys that don't win a ton, but we fell in love with them early on in their career. Same could happen for Stroud. I just don't think it's the same thing. Number two on my list here, Dak Prescott. Are you taking Dak Prescott over Brock Purdy at this point? No. I mean, Dak's 30. Um, he is uh, seemingly crumbles in the playoffs. Uh, I would take Purdy over Dak. Okay. I would actually take Dak over Purdy. Um, I get there is a big-time criticism for Dak in big games, right? He just doesn't show up for him in the playoffs. He sure as hell doesn't show up for it. I've always wondered, though, we're never going to know, to be honest with you. There will probably be a point in time where he goes elsewhere in his career, away from Dallas. But I almost wonder if Dak was like the commander's quarterback or if Dak was the Broncos quarterback and he played just like this, I don't think we view him in the way that he does because he's the Dallas Cowboys quarterback. They are the biggest brand in the NFL. No matter who the quarterback is, they are going to be put under a microscope. Everything they do, big performances, big games, if they don't show out and play well, they are going to be considered overrated. Uh, So I still think I would take Dak because of circumstance. If Dak was in San Francisco, I think Dak would be better than Purdy. Probably so because of coaching. I, yes, I mean, but I get age too. I get yeah, age. 30, we're building, Dak's yeah. thirty years old. 30, yeah, he's thirty. So Purdy's twenty four. If I was trying to go for a three or four year stretch, I could definitely lean Purdy. I'm going. This guy's already gotten to a Super Bowl. He plays well in the playoffs, unlike Dak. So for now, I will take Dak, but you'll take Purdy here. The next one I have on my list here is Jalen Hurts hmm. of the Philadelphia Eagles. I thought. When it was really put on him, and he didn't get a play truly alongside A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, this was a mediocre quarterback. Mm. But I want to get your thoughts first. Oof, that's a tough one. I mean, because Hurts has got his team to, to the Super Bowl. Yes. Um, Hurts only 25 years old, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Ah. Uh... I guess I lean Jalen Hurts only because of the sample. Like yeah. I, 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 there's more. There's more evidence that Hurts can do it. Yeah. Um, but man, that like, see, that one is, is so much. Uh, that's a lot tougher for me than Dak because yes. Hurts got to the Super Bowl. He did, Hot, uh, he, and he's 25, he, and he's 25 years old. Um, I lean Hurts. I lean Hurts, but it's a narrow, narrow margin. Um. Mm-hmm. You know, because we don't know what Purdy. I mean, when Purdy struggled, he didn't have Debo. He didn't have his left tackle. You know, when when the Forty ers went through that little lull where they struggled, he, you know, he didn't have one of the main weapons. Yeah. You look, what what was the biggest thing missing in that? You know, game they had against the the Packers that looked like they you know basically lucked out of i mean i don't i i I use that lightly you know they won the game but there was some luck involved for them um they didn't he didn't have debo um so i i i would to answer your question i would say hurts over pretty i I think i'm with you there too i i really did like jalen hurts in the first part of the year then when things started going awry, things started not going that well. And this happens to every quarterback, right? People were saying Mahomes looked ordinary with no wide receivers when he was struggling. I think every quarterback goes through a lull like this. 
I don't think I need to get too caught up in Jalen Hurts just having a bad half of the year. He also got hurt at the very end. You know, and, and going into the season, like I, I would have put Hurts right underneath that, you know, that that top four, that tier that one. Made. Yeah, like, absolutely. I would say he, he's borderline, like inching his way towards it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it's like he did struggle late, and it's like there was, I think. A lot of that was put on him, but I mean, I think his coaching staff failed him at some level uh-huh. too. I think so as well. I think having to deal with Nick Sirianni was was not the best for Jalen Hurts. Back to back years as well, I would say. Here's a tough one, and i I might have a good good argument for this one. How about Kyler Murray, Murray and Purdy? Who are you taking? I'm taking Purdy. I'm not. I am okay. not. I am not, not a fan. No, I'm not a f- fan of Kyler Murray. Uh, one availability is the most uh, yes. important ability out of out of any quarterback's ability. Mm-hmm. Availability is the num- number one, and he hasn't proven that he can stay healthy. And and uh, even in the eight games that he started, I mean, he had a QBR under fifty. Yeah, and, and granted, had very little help. Yeah, very little help. That Cardinals team was atrocious. Um, but I didn't like him coming out. I didn't. I think size is a problem for him. I think you know uh, if you're going to be that type of mobile quarterback, like you have to be durable and built differently. You know, Tyreek Hill is not a big guy, and I know, granted, different positions, but Tyreek Hill is a guy that can take a hit. Yeah, and, and his body type is is a different. Uh, he is he is thick. He he can you know, but he's not a big guy. Is my point. And, and you know, and Kyler Murray's not a big guy, but he's not he's not built to withstand. An NFL rigor, the rigor of the NFLs, I don't think, and I don't think he'll ever be a guy who is all, you know, starts a full season regularly. I don't think so either. I I do like Kyler. I really want to see Kyler out of Arizona. Uh, they kind of made their bed, though, giving him that absurd contract before he really did anything. I think we'd see basically a faster version of Brock Purdy if he was a Niner, but I don't think is successful throwing the football. I'm just. I do agree with you. The height is a concern for me. You can't be five seven or five eight as a quarterback in the NFL and shine. I just I don't think it's possible. So I'm with you there. I still would take Brock Purdy over uh, Kyler Murray here. The next guy that I have on my list here is Tua. Tua Tungavailoa, the Miami Dolphins. You can bring up the question too of durability. Durability is your best attribute, I think, as a quarterback. You can be as good as you can. You can have a high ceiling, high potential. If you're never out there or you can't play in the big-time games, it is going to come back to bite you in the ass. And I think that's happened to Tua more often than not. But I want to get your thoughts first, Tua or Purdy, when building a team. And, and to be fair, Tua did – he started a full season this year. So, I mean, he he answered some of those questions that you're you're raising. Now mm-hmm. they, they are still questions. He's 25. It's going to be really interesting to see what Miami does. Have they already extended that fifth year? Like, the, he has the fifth year, yep. right? They, they, they took the option on the fifth year. But whether they decide to pay him after the season is going to be I, – I mean – it's a make it or break it year for Tua, uh, in my viewpoint. I would still take Brock Purdy over Tua. Uh, granted, they're close to the same age. Tua's only twenty five, um, but man, I, I look. I, Tua is somewhat mobile, but not like what Purdy showed me. In time after time, it's being able to escape. Yep. And, and granted, the Lions is not not a top tier defense. 
And but for him to show the ability to, he won that game with his legs. He did extending plays, getting big first downs on third downs. Um, and you know, I I think at some point in time, you have to just completely dismiss the fact that he was a seventh round pick and Mister Irrelevant. Mm-hmm. You have to throw that away, just like. Eventually, you had to throw it away for Kurt Warner being undrafted. Yep. Right? And Tom Brady being a sixth-round pick. You have to eventually discard that. And I think, for me, I, I think we're at that point. You know, it's it's not like – it's it's a really good story. And, but there's a reason who, I, I you know, the 49ers decide to walk away from a top-five pick and go with yep. this guy. So I, I'd take him over to a – Yeah, I – I think it's really close for me. I like Tua. Oh, I I think Tua can be as good, if not better, with Purdy. Because also with Purdy, I mean, he's got great weapons around him, just like Tua does. I think we've seen more explosive games from Tua. We've also seen some absolute duds where he just is discombobulated to the max extent. Purdy, I've seen a few times. One that comes to mind was the Baltimore game where he had four interceptions, and that's what I kind of factor in here. I'll probably lean Tua for now. I think Tua is more big play if you can keep him healthy, which is a big if, and pair just a marginally good defense. I think Tua can be that guy that eventually gets you to an AFC title game, but that's still a big if. Purdy's done it. Purdy's gotten to a Super Bowl now and will go up against Patrick Mahomes. Last guy I have here on the list in kind of that middle-tier spot, Trevor Lawrence of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think this one's going to be interesting, so I'll open it up to you. Lawrence or Purdy you moving forward with? Oh, Purdy. I mean, I, okay. I there, there's there's Easy a lot of other guys I'd rather have than, than, All than right. Lawrence. I mean, I, I'd rather have Jordan Love. I'd rather, you know, that's a guy I would rather have than, than I saw more out of him. Than, granted, I think Lawrence, his health at the end of the season was was diminished. Obviously, missed some games with the shoulder issue. But man, I I I think they're they're stuck in Jacksonville, and and they I, they might have the wrong guy down there. They might have the wrong guy. I am not a big Trevor Lawrence fan. Um, I think he's a fine quarterback. Mm-hmm. I think he is, but he's just middle of the road guy. He's that that ten to twenty tier. Right, I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put him in my top ten. Um, but yeah, I, I think you know. When, I, I don't know. I, granted, you know that comeback he had against the Chargers, and you, you know all all that nice stuff. I still don't think that you know he's going to win a Super Bowl, especially being in the AFC. This season was a huge stain on Trevor Lawrence, in my opinion, an absolute huge stain. And it's because of how weak the I mean, I would have thought Jacksonville had a better chance at the one seed this year than missing the playoffs as a whole because he's dealing with C.J. Stroud, who before we saw what he became, unproven. A rookie quarterback, a rookie head coach for the team that lost, what was it, 14 games last year? Like, why would I predict them to be the division winner? I wasn't going to. Ryan Tannehill and the Titans, then it was Will Levis and the Titans. Pass. And then the Colts had a rookie quarterback in Anthony Richardson and then Gardner Minshew. And it didn't even come down to Jacksonville, really. It was the Colts and the Texans. Like, Trevor Lawrence was gift-wrapped. The easiest division in the AFC. And he still couldn't do it. 
Well, and that game against the Titans, like oh. to, 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 they win that game and they're in. They're in. It was that easy. They win that game and they're in. Didn't need to worry about what happened with Houston and, nope. and Indianapolis. Winning in. And he and that, like that that for me that's when I was like he's not the guy. And they needed like a late late comeback to even make that game interesting. Like you are talking about Ryan Tannehill who was benched for Will Levis that beat Trevor Lawrence in the final week, and also the Jags were what seven and three, eight and three something like that. And then lost to Jake Browning and the Bengals. That was the downfall. That was when everything went south. They got obliterated by the Niners and never recovered. I think I'm with you here. I once was really high on Trevor Lawrence. That was my mistake. I mean, even his comeback game, he had four picks in the first half. And that was more so Brandon Staley choking that game away than Lawrence really coming back. But yeah, I can't give any credit to Lawrence right now. Great coach in Doug Peterson, weak division, still couldn't get it done. Brock Purdy? He's in the Super Bowl at age 24. There has to be some merit there. And I think he's better than some people give him credit for. Well, there's Ray Charles over there. It's time to go. That wraps up another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I've been your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Jake Gutierrez. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 AM. You take it easy, Kansas City. Oh, woman, oh, woman, oh, treat me so mean. You're the meanest old woman that I've ever seen. I guess if you say so... I'll have to pack my things and go. That's right, keep the road, Jack. And don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more. Hit the road, Jack. And don't you come back.